It happened 504 years ago. 504 years ago. It was All Hallows Eve. 1517. Today is the anniversary of that day that, that changed my life and that changed the world. Let me introduce myself. I'm Martin Luther. I was born in 1483 in Saxony. I believe it came to be known as Germany later. I was born to a family that, that began to have means Hans Luther was my father, and he began to uh, be a miner that discovered the refinery of copper, and because we had means, we had now access to education. So my father gladly sent me to Latin school. Latin school was the beginning for education in the world where I lived. I lived in a world where there was the Holy Roman Empire, and the Holy Roman Catholic Church was the only church known to us in the West. So Latin was the way to learn about God, the way to know about the things of God in the church and to be in the halls of academia. I love learning. And so I continued to learn. And as I finished my Latin studies, my, my father sent me to a school in Mansfield run by the common brethren of St. Augustine. There were monks. And I had been taught early on in Latin school to memorize the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. I, I had this respect for a God who I knew was big and holy and righteous. And it was really inspiring for me to watch these brothers that ran my school because of their piety. Their dedication to God was incredible. They, they prayed and, and they did penance and, and they sought to please God. And, and, and it inspired me, but it also bothered me. Because I never knew when I had prayed enough. I never knew when I had confessed my sins enough. I never knew when I had done enough penance to, to make up for the things that I had done wrong. And, and so there was this struggle within me as a young man. I went on from my education and I had finally the opportunity to go to the university, the University of Eckford. It was a prestigious university and, and I was excited about the opportunity to learn more in this liberal arts education it, 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 it changed my world. In fact, the world was changing. I had heard that there was an Italian man by the name of Christopher Columbus that had made a trip on the ocean and had discovered a new world. There were new ideas that were coming up in the humanities. The artists were, were painting new things, a, a discovery that later came to be known as the Renaissance. And so in the arts and in philosophy and theology, there was this new discovery that was taking place. After all, maybe the world wasn't really flat. And maybe all these ideas that we had taken for granted were not the way we had thought. And so I, I studied and I studied and I learned and the struggle within me continued as I sought to, to know God. As I realized how awful of a sinner I was. I, I, as I struggled to relate to a God who I thought was, was a, a God who was ready to punish me. A God who was ready to send sinners to hell. 
because they weren't holy enough and, and it bothered me. In fact, it even made me physically sick sometimes. I went on to, to my graduate studies and, and then came the time to, to finish my studies and the only options to continue were either to go to law school or to go to medical school or to go to theology. There was something about theology that, that attracted me, but my father, my father wanted me to go to law school. It was a prestigious and lucrative career. It, it would be a good way for him to invest of his hard work in my life so that I could prosper in that kind of way. And so at the insistence of my father, I enrolled in law school. The first book I bought was, was a book of canon law. I was interested in the law of the church. And I began to study with, with much anticipation six weeks into my law studies. I wanted to go home to visit my family. I got homesick and so I made the trek to my hometown. I traveled by foot as it was common in those days. And as I was traveling, this awful storm broke out. The sky turned black and the thunder was loud. With every thunder, my heart skipped a beat. The lightning bolt seemed to get closer and closer to me every time. I was a man full of fear. I was afraid of God. I was afraid of his anger. I was a great, afraid of his punishment. I was afraid of the devil and his demons who, who were always seeking to destroy me. And so on that day, I was afraid that maybe God was out to destroy me because I had refused to pursue a theology career because I had pursued, I had refused to go to study about him. And, and so I prayed. I felt like Jonah who was running away from God in the midst of the storm and, and I prayed to Saint Anne. Saint Anne was the only intercessor that my family knew. She was a patron saint of miners. My dad was a copper miner and so she was the only one that we had at home. We had an altar. You didn't pray to God. He was holy and righteous and far removed from a sinful humanity. So I prayed to Saint Anne, a simple prayer like Jonah's simple prayer. I told her, Saint Anne, if you save my life, I will join the monastery. Well, God spared my life and I joined the monastery in my hometown, the order of the hermits of Saint Augustine to my dad's disappointment. All of the effort that he had made to bring me up in a career that would lift me up in life and that would make things lucrative for me, I had given up now to join a monastery that was a mendicant order. That means we begged for our food. We followed the monastic rule, got up at 2 a.m. to begin our prayers and to do work and penance. It was an austere environment, my room was an unheated chamber in Saxony with a chair and a table. We, we believe that, that if you limited the, the comfort of the physical body, if you, if you push your body to suffer the most, perhaps you could get closer to God. Perhaps you could join Jesus in his suffering and, and somehow uh, attain his favor in your life. And so I prayed and, and I worked and I, and I punished my body. But the more I tried, the, the, the further I fell from God, the more I resented him for not allowing me to, to be able to be just and holy enough for him. My struggles were evident to my superiors and, and they tried to help me. 
Our order was a strict order. We followed the rules. Other monasteries didn't do so well. And the Pope seemed to not make a difference between the monasteries that ran well and those that were more liberal, if you would. So my superior wrote a letter for me to take to Rome. I represented the German monks to the Pope in Rome. Can you imagine a lowly monk from a mendicant order like me appearing before the head of the church, the Holy Father? See, my superior thought that perhaps my journey to Rome would help me spiritually. Perhaps as I travel by foot to that holy city, I would, I would experience more of God and I would get close to him and my struggles would end once and for all. So I anticipated my journey and I began to walk and pray and walk and pray, hoping that my arrival at this holy city would, would turn into an experience that would change my life. My heart sunk when I arrived in this so-called holy city. It was filled with beggars and taverns and houses of ill repute. There were brothels for the clergy. They were selling religious items. They, they had relics supposedly that belonged to, to the disciples or, or to the saints. And, and they made people kiss them to, to get a hundred or two hundred years taken off of purgatory. It was disheartening. It was disappointing. And then my audience with the Pope came and I entered the Vatican, a, a luxurious place. A man living with servants around him, enjoying food and luxury that people just a few yards away did not even think or dream of. He pretty much ignored our, our plea from Germany and, and my mission failed. As I returned home from that awful visit, the images never left my mind. They haunted me. How could the church, how, how could this holy city, how could the headquarters of everything that was Christ be so corrupt and void of spirituality? As I returned home, my ordination process came about. I'll never forget the, the first time that I officiated mass. I was trembling with fear, as I, as I lifted the chalice, as I held the host in my hands, I shook with fear and trembling for I knew I was a sinner and this holy God was supposed to be present. My superiors tried to encourage me, they tried to reprimand me, but they didn't understand my struggle. My desire to, to be drawn to a righteous God and, and my awful sense of unworthiness and sinfulness. So I continued my studies. My superior thought that it would be good for me to study theology. And even though I had already finished liberal arts studies, he, he sent me to a school in Germany that actually studied the Bible. That was a strange thing. Schools were not, did not exist apart from the church, but they studied theology and canon law and papal bulls, but very few of them studied the scriptures, but this university was known for studying the Bible. And so he said, I will send you there, brother Luther. 
And so I went to the University of Wittenberg, or Wittenberg, as some might pronounce it, and I studied the scriptures, the gospels, the letters of Paul. This struggle within me began to, to know that there was a source of, of answers. There was a place that began to speak about who Jesus really was and, and, and what the gospel was really about. And as I was studying and teaching from the book of Psalms and lecturing from the book of Romans, I, I was beginning to find some kind of peace to my struggle. And then something happened that made me sick. Something happened that, that stirred my, just the interior of, of my being. A man by the name of John Tetzel, a preacher, was traveling from town to town selling indulgences. Indulgences were a certificate that the church would provide for the forgiveness of sins or for the freedom from purgatory. If people could donate a certain amount of time, they could obtain the certificate and have it in their name or in the name of a dead relative. And as this John Tetzel preacher went around terrifying people about the fires of hell and the, the horrible condition of purgatory. Purgatory was a place that I couldn't find in the Bible. It, it was made up by the church. It was, it was an intermediate place. Imagine understanding salvation as a scale where on the one side you, you have your good deeds that can get you right with God and on the other side you have your sin and you're aware that your sin is always greater than your good deeds. But then the church says when Christ died on the cross he accumulated a treasure of merits and he trusted that treasure of merits to the church. And the church can dispense those merits. Those merits, if you get enough of them, you can tip the scale to the good side so that you don't have to spend eternity in damnation. In fact, if you don't get to pay for all your sins here on earth, then you'll go to this intermediate place called purgatory. And you could spend a hundred or a thousand years, depending on your sins there, until you've paid for them or somebody that's living has helped you pay for them and you can get out of there and go to heaven. And this preacher was telling the people who were afraid of their loved ones who had died, afraid of their children and their eternity. Poor people with starving children, with crippled children, in the streets were crying and shaking in terror as, as his preacher was telling them that that's where they were gonna go if they didn't buy an indulgence. And I saw my people going up to the coffin and the saying as, as soon as the coin in the coffin rings, the soul from purgatory springs. It made me sick. And so, I thought for sure, for sure, the Pope in Rome doesn't know that this is going on. For sure, the Curia in Rome doesn't know that the, the abuses of these preachers, they need to be told, we need to cleanse the church from them. We, we need to have a conversation. We need to rediscover the gospel. And so I wrote 95 theses. 
95 statements that raise questions about the validity of indulgences, the need for, for true repentance and faith, questioning the authority of, of the Pope and the church, and uplifting the authority of the scriptures. My desire was to have a conversation, to have a debate, for the Pope to know what, what people were doing in his name, because surely he wouldn't approve of this. And I nailed those 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. It was the way that we invited others to, to debate and to conversation. But the church didn't want to debate. The church didn't want to talk about that. They called me a drunken German monk. And so the Pope summoned me to Augsburg to question me. And I welcomed the opportunity to, to, to proclaim the truths that I was discovering. I, I began to study Romans again. I love that letter. I remember the day that as I was reading chapter one, I came to verse 17 and, and, it, and it caught my attention like never before. It says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And it was like the gates of heaven were open for me. The righteousness of God has been revealed. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God is perfect. Yes, God is righteous. But he has revealed his righteousness in Christ, in the gospel, in the good news. Christ has come to, to live the righteousness and to offer his righteousness on the cross of Calvary. And that righteousness is available to us by faith, by faith, from first to last, from beginning to ending. Faith and faith alone, sola fide. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous become righteous by faith. The righteous get eternal life by faith. The righteous will live by faith, what an incredible discovery, what a freedom came into my soul that day. I discovered the gospel of God. He had liberated me. Solus Christus, Christ alone. His death and his life was sufficient to pay for, for all of our sins. Not Christ and the saints, not Christ and the church, not Christ and the Pope, but Christ and Christ alone. Sola gratia. Grace alone. Not grace plus merits, not, not grace plus the sacraments, not grace plus indulgences, but grace, the unmerited favor of God who loves us and who wants to redeem us. Grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Not faith in works, not, not faith in human effort, not, not faith in, in the submitting of my will to, to obedience by force, but faith alone. I began to preach this gospel because it not only liberated me, 
he began to liberate my little church in Wittenberg. And he began to liberate all those who read my writings. The gospel of Jesus Christ was spreading. But the church was not happy. The Pope summoned me to Augsburg and to question me. And he appointed a cardinal by the name of Cayetan to question me. Now, Cayetan was a zealous defender of the traditions of the church. His mission was to correct me and to make me repent of what I had taught. But my desire was that we would actually have a conversation, that, that we would have a debate, that, that perhaps together we could discover the truth of God, but he would have none of it. He didn't like to debate with me. He wanted me to fall at my feet and just admit that I had been wrong all along. So after an effort of debate, he threw up his hands and he says, there's no hope for this man. And I was sure that the Pope did not agree on this. And, and so I began to, to, to write more. And then I found out that Pope Leo X wrote a papal bull, a, a, an authoritative letter saying that 41 sentences of my writings were in error. And therefore I was a heretic that I was outside of the official teaching of the church and, and I needed to be excommunicated. I needed to be removed from the fellowship of the church. Pope Clement had taught that salvation could not exist outside of the church and to be excommunicated in my day was, was a serious thing. And I, and I thought, what an awful thing. I was sentenced to death. That's what heretics deserved, to die. Thankfully, Frederick of Saxony was my friend and and then Charles V had become the king of Germany and the Holy Roman Emperor. And as a proud German, they felt like no German should be sentenced to death unless they had a trial. So knowing that a trial in Rome would be my demise, demise they convened a diet in Worms. And the objective of that diet was to Get me to do two things, to acknowledge my writings and to recant, to repent, to say that I was wrong. I trembled because I understood what was at stake. If I appeared there and I would recant, then all of those people who had received the gospel would, would be disappointed. They would be confused because it was the truth of God as I understood it. But to stand my ground meant my life. It meant the end of my ministry. So that day as I appeared before this diet, after much prayer and seeking God, they had my books and they asked if those writings were mine. As I looked at the writings, I had to admit that they were indeed mine. I own them. And then they asked, will you recant? Will you pronounce that you were wrong? But I was bound by my conscience. I could not say I was wrong. The Spirit of God had revealed this to me. The Scriptures taught this to me. And I invited them, if you can show me that I'm wrong, if you can prove me wrong from the scriptures or from reason, then I will listen. But otherwise, I cannot recant. 
knowing what was at stake, knowing the price, knowing that my life was on the line. So I stood there. I said, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. By the grace of God, and thanks to my German friends that were able to hide me, my life was spared. And I was able to, to live in peace without being burned at the stake because that was my punishment. Heretics were burned at the stake. I, I guess the church figured if, if heretics are going to burn in hell, we might as well get a head start. But I was spared that. And although there was quietness in my life for a small period of time, the fires of the Protestant Reformation began to spread through all Saxony and through Sweden and England and even in the New World. The gospel of Jesus Christ, of Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, was spreading and later the Reformation came to be known by five solas. Sola Scriptura. Scriptures alone are the authority for faith and practice. Not a pope, not the church, but the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sola gratia. Grace alone. It is the unmerited favor of God that he offers to us. There is nothing that we can add to it. Solus Christus, Christ alone. What he did was sufficient. Sufficient for our salvation. Sufficient to, to make us right with a holy God. Sola fide, faith alone. A faith that surrenders, a faith that, that gives it all, a faith that trusts life to the person of Jesus Christ. And that will bring transformation and obedience in a life that is holy, not by our own works, but by the grace of God. And soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Those are the things that I stood for. Those are the things that changed my life. Those are the things that changed my church. Those are the things that changed the church and the world forever. What about you? Where do you stand? Where is your faith? Have you trusted in Christ alone? By grace alone? Through faith alone? To experience his power? His forgiveness? His love? His presence? His promise of eternal life? I made a lot of mistakes. I use very colorful language in my writings. I said things that I shouldn't have said perhaps. I know I called the Pope the Antichrist. I said things about Jews that were wrong. But this one thing I know, Christ is sufficient. Grace is enough. And faith alone makes us right with God.